Hello, and welcome to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us today as we jump in to our series called Deconstruct, Reconstruct. Join us as we unpack what it means to have authentic faith. Deconstruction is breaking stuff down to the foundation. Reconstruction happens when we know who the true foundation of our life is. Get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, Emmanuel. I mean, love Jesus today. You love him? Big shout out to all of our locations. On the platform next to me is Pastor Phil, our lead youth pastor for all of our youth ministry. And uh, this weekend we had avalanche. Was, it got a little bit crazy up in here, right? And uh, we had hundreds of teenagers that were here all worshiping Jesus, all having fun together. There's breaks. I saw some Chick-fil-A and some uh, all kinds of things going on. They're out in the the park next door, and, and I was like, Lord, you just cover over, no injuries in Jesus' name, and all of that. And, uh, but tell us what happened this weekend, Pastor Phil, with Avalanche. Uh, thank you, Pastor Nate. I think we just got to lead off and just say thank you to you for believing in the next generation. Can we give it up for Pastor Nate? I'm so grateful for you, man. I know you're the actual youth director. We're just, we're just holding a spot. But uh, this weekend, as Pastor Nate said, we had hundreds of teenagers uh, from all of our location gathered here to just have a real encounter with the real Jesus. And we were so excited just to kind of see how God showed up. Uh, a moment that stood out to me this weekend as we had a student that was new to youth ministry, uh, one of our locations, just came a couple weeks ago, uh, got signed up for camp because of a Kingdom Builder scholarship. So shout out to all uh, that give to Kingdom Builders. Um, it makes moments like this possible, so thank you. Um, and then at the altar at the last night, uh, all of a sudden the first song just started and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just falls and just begins to fill her, and she just begins to weep. And she's like, "What is this? Like, I, I'm not. I don't want to cry. I don't. I don't know what's going on." And it was this moment where she met with Jesus, and it was amazing to see students from all locations gathering around, yeah. praying, and coming together as God just moved in our students. And so it was an amazing weekend. Thank you for all for praying, uh, for uh, sowing generously to Kingdom Builders to uh, allow students to go that would not have an opportunity to go. It was just the best weekend of the year. Come on, best somebody. Give it up for Pastor Phil and our youth leaders and our team. And uh, I'm believing this is, we're just getting started, you know, in the middle of an era when the world is feeling so dark and people are not excited. Listen, God is on the move in the next generation. And whether it's the kids that we dedicated this morning before God or meeting in our kids' ministry or it's our teenagers that gather together. I'm believing for a greater outpouring than we've ever experienced on that next generation. And I, listen, it takes all of us. We've got to pray. We've got to lean in together and believe for God to do it. Amen? And he will. I want to mention one other thing before I go into my message today. And that is uh, the news this week of what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, as uh, wartime has been unleashed on our screens, it's been a very long time since uh, the world has seen these type of things uh, on this scale. And uh, as a house of prayer for all nations, as God has called Emmanuel to be, which, by the way, is referencing Jesus' statement when he was in the temple, and he quoted from Isaiah that his vision for the church would be a place for people from every nation to come together. We have people in our church that are from Ukraine or from Russia or for that entire region, and they and their families are experiencing a whole lot of different emotions this week. 
And I just want to say to you as your pastor, if you're part of our congregation in that way, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would be with you and your families. I'm praying that God would be there. And, uh, and I also want to challenge the church uh, to recognize that this is not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities in high places. And the reality is that right now, there isn't just a conflict of, of, a, of a dictator that's trying to do things, but there's also a spiritual force behind it. We see it repeated throughout the centuries in history, the demonic strongholds that are behind it. And we are not weak in this battle. We have weapons to fight with. And, and through him, we are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? So I want to call us, church, to pray for right now for what's going on. We're going to ask the Lord to, to bring down those strongholds of darkness. We're going to ask God to minister to the church and give her strength. And the, wherever the believers are gathered and there's refugees that are going across borders right now, and we can pray for our partners that are over there. We have missionary Kingdom Builder partners, uh, Phil Reed and Convoy of Hope, people that are already on the ground making a difference in those spaces. And we can pray for them as well. Would you just lift up your holy hands in prayer with me right now? Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you care and you see the whole world. And right now we ask, oh God, first of all, I pray, God, that you would minister to the families in our church that are just feeling the tension of this moment that they would experience. Lord, a peace that passes understanding. It would guard their hearts and their minds and their worries and their anxieties would be able to be cast upon you. And then we pray, Lord, for the church of Jesus that's in that whole region, oh God, that you would use the church, you fill the church with your spirit, that you give them the capacity, God, to live and to walk and to be under the umbrella of heaven and the covering of heaven's armies. And we pray God, that you would help the church to minister to those that are around them. And then, Lord, we pray, oh God, Lord, for the spiritual dimension of this, which is so greater. We come against the powers of darkness in Jesus' name. This ancient stronghold, strong man that's over the region trying to crush people and murder and take out life. We come against that in the power of the name of Jesus, who has overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony we can overcome. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would bring down every stronghold. Take them out. Whatever it takes, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, let there be peace in our world and peace in that land. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. We believe it, amen. In church, I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to pray, not just watch clips of what's going on. Not just look at tweets and, and Facebook and Instagram and television, but to pray. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can pray. All right, you can pray. All right, we're going to go right into week number two of de-reconstruction. And uh, the title of my message today is Facing the Wind, Facing the Wind. When I was growing up, uh, just like many of us, uh, children grow up, they don't see everything, they don't understand the whys of their family journey. Uh, as I was growing up, I grew up in five different states, traveled, went from place to place, and my family, um, I didn't know any different. I was loved and cared for. My mom and dad loved Jesus. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money at different points. We didn't know we were going to live necessarily, but God was always faithful. I remember my mom saying when I would get worried 
this too shall pass, honey. This too shall pass. How many of you ever heard that before from somebody? I didn't understand it then, but I do understand it now. Well, as I was growing up, there were also frustration points with that. And I didn't know why I didn't have what other families had or other friends had in the neighborhood. And it felt like there was a tension there and I didn't understand it. And then I remember the day when my, I was about 12 years old when God had been working on my dad's heart. My dad did not have these big, uh, crazy sins that you might think of. But in his own heart, in his own recollection, God was breaking him internally because he had an independent spirit. He was not going to listen to wisdom of anybody else. He was going to do his own thing. And I remember the day that my dad set me down in my bedroom and he had a conversation with me because God had been at work in his heart and he was breaking and submitting his heart to God and to spiritual leadership. And he said, I have been wrong. And my dad repented in front of me. And when he began to repent, I as a kid didn't understand all of that. But what he was declaring to me is not only am I was I wrong for what I did, but I'm going to change my ways. I'm not going to live that way in the future as I have in the past. And he let me know that the, we were living in the result of his decisions because he was unbroken at one point. And now that he was broken, he was breaking a chain for me. In other words, I didn't have to replicate that in my own journey down the road. And by the way, church, did you know that for your kids and for the next generation, you're, the work that you do before God, when you repent, you break a chain that doesn't have to get passed to the kids. Come on, somebody. And it doesn't matter what age you are. You can still do that. You can still step in and own the moment and say, devil, I'm not going to let this pass to the next generation. And because my dad did that, it did develop a different storyline for my future. We found ourselves planted in a good church. Pastor Wayne Benson is still my pastor to this day. He's one of our advisory elders of this church. And because my dad had the courage to take those steps, I was the beneficiary of it. Now, the purpose of me sharing that today was beyond just breaking the chains. As I want you to consider that through the various periods of time that we have, when new information or new experiences come in, it causes us to rethink our previous part of our life. We rethink our relationship to our families. When information comes in, it could be for the good or it could be for the bad. When people go through Financial Peace University at our church and they get into that class and perhaps they've got a, a lot of debt and the debt is the result of living on a credit card or having habits that were kind of handed off to them by maybe their parents or whatever the generational influences were for them. And they get into the class and they find good information and they discover that there's a different way to live, that they don't have to be a slave to debt, that they don't have to let that rule their life. They don't have to live in the anxiety of it any longer. Now, all of a sudden, they begin to think different about money and they recognize I'm in this place because of my decisions before and I can change my decisions and have a different future. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when we talk about deconstruction, not all deconstruction is a negative thing. It can be a positive thing. When we get new information about a way of following Jesus, and we don't have to do the things we used to do before Jesus, it can be a really, really good thing. It also can have negative impact. Sometimes we discover new information about a leader or an authority over us, 
And it really causes us to go, wait a second. Was every, everything I was taught wrong? What about my parents or a child goes through divorce in their parents and they begin to think different things about themselves and they wonder, why am I in this place? And then they look negatively at the leader. And then sometimes the, the unintended consequences is when somebody fails us, we have a difficult time trusting anyone else. Then the favorite phrase of this generation is I've got trust issues. Those trust issues come from new information or from experiences that we walk through, and we begin to rethink just about everything in our life. Our pain can cause us to look at life through a different lens, and the impact on us can be very significant, not only in our life, but in the lives of those that follow us. Some people begin to blame themselves. They have a shame narrative on their life because somebody else did something and early on they told themselves it was the, they were the blame, that somehow their mom and dad got divorced because I did something wrong. No, that's not true. But a little child can think that and then they build and stack their life on that lie. Deconstruction can be the natural next step to dealing with whatever we are disappointed in or hurt by. And then we can reframe our memories. We go back and seek to pull apart whatever caused us pain. Deconstructing can be nothing other than seeking to figure out how everything works because it didn't work before. And we tell ourselves the truths or conclusions about our pain. And you can fill in the blank. You can't trust people because of whatever. I, uh, I remember Pastor Benson sharing with us a time in his ministry when uh, a man came to him in church and this man had uh, a, a good faith story and he had come to faith years earlier at an evangelist meeting. And there was an evangelist that preached Jesus and crowds were coming and that evangelist made a big difference and that's when he gave his life to Christ. Only in the previous week he did discovered that that evangelist had had a moral failure. And that, that caused him to go, what? What does that mean about my salvation? What does that mean about, was it fake? Did I have a real one? Uh, what, what about all of that? And he asked Pastor Benson that question. And Pastor Benson said he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to respond with, well, when you gave your life uh, at the altar and you got saved and you prayed, who did you pray to? Did you pray to that evangelist? Did that evangelist forgive you of your sin? Did that evangelist make you new, a new creation? He said, no. He said, then don't worry about it. You gave your life to Jesus. You're secure in that, but you can see in there the, the process of deconstruction. That questioning of, was it real? What does it mean? Did they really love me? All of those things get wrapped up in those stories. And the process of deconstruction can have unintended consequences. So while you're going through whatever it is that your emotional moment, as we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. There's a time for building up and a time for tearing down, it said. So if you're in those moments, or maybe you've gone through loss, and you're in the deep grief of despair of the loss that you went through, 
And you're in that moment, you can be going through it all in here. But what we don't understand is there are unintended consequences for whatever we do with that moment. In fact, there's consequences on the people around us. Sometimes people pull away from the people that are most important in their life because of the pain on the inside. Let me tell you this today. The worst thing for you to do is to push away from the people that care about you the most. Sometimes we're the person that are watching somebody push away from us. And we now have to walk through their deconstruction. And there's an unintended consequence. It actually takes out a relationship. And worse is what happens with parents. I've watched it in this generation as various people have grown up in the church and they love Jesus. And maybe they found Jesus at an altar when they were in youth ministry like Avalanche this weekend. They got on fire for God and everything was great. And then they grew up and they went along and they discovered the real world. I mean, the real world is pretty brutal out there. And they went through their own pain and their own struggle. And uh, when they went through it, they looked at the church and maybe they had some church hurt. Maybe there's somebody in the church that treated them wrong or disappointed them or whatever. And so they decide, you know what? I'm just going to opt out of church. I'm going to push away. That whole thing is corrupt anyways. And they make statements and they're like, you know, I just need to get away from it. So the reaction to that deconstruction moment is to push away. But meanwhile, they've got a whole family in their house now. And not only are they not in church, but their kids aren't in church. And there's a domino effect, an unintended consequence to how you handle deconstruction in your life. Bitterness can turn you into the person who hurt you if you don't deal with it. And it can stunt your opportunity for promotion because there's a danger in what's going on in your heart in the process. What do we do with our pain? What do we do with our disappointment? How do we handle friends or loved ones who are wrestling through a deconstruction season and it feels like they're just accusing you? Ever been in a conversation like that? You're like, you want to answer them why they're wrong. It's the worst thing you can do, by the way. But they're feeling their pain. And sometimes when a person's in pain, they spit it all up on you. What do you do with that? How do you respond without feeling like we're just rolling over and giving in? The good news about this whole thing of deconstruction, reconstruction is this. Jesus understands all of us. In fact, Jesus was rejected, overlooked, and he endured. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, turn there with me or go there on your Emmanuel MN app. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Circle that word, understands. Highlight it. 
Remember it. He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus had real empathy. He cared for people, and he understands. I've talked to veterans of foreign wars over time that are in our church. And there's something unique about the community of people who have served in battle. If you go out and talk to them, and I have not served in a physical battle, I've not been in the military. But if I were to talk to them and ask them to share their story, there are, they wouldn't share a whole lot with me. Because I don't understand, and there's so much pain in that world, so they, they just don't share it. But if they were to sit down with another veteran, somebody that actually understands them, then they'll share it, right? This is the same to be true when you talk to somebody that's gone through the same kind of pain you're going through. It feels so great when you can talk to somebody that gets it, and Jesus gets you. He understands you. He's been tested in those things. So when you talk to Jesus, he gets you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he gets you. <laughs> Think about it. Jesus is familiar with the dangers of what you do on the inner questions, the frustrations, and the doubts that we face. Everywhere that Jesus looked, People misrepresented the original heartbeat of God. Think about the unraveling since creation and sin entered the world. When Jesus shows up in the New Testament and he walks the earth, he sees slavery and oppression and racism, economic aggression. He sees society that pushed women out and children were abused. He saw the deconstruction of the original vision. And the entire reason that Jesus came was to set about a way to handle the pain without losing your soul. It was a reconstruction. Jesus died for us, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if your life is in a mess and you see a mess all around you, the best person you can look to is Jesus. He's the one that knows how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's what he does. And we can't just lean on solutions around us or the things that you see. Anyone who looks to Jesus has an opportunity to experience healing with our past and our present. And the world around us is looking for someone to pay for hurting others. They want somebody to pay for their pain. They're calling people out. They're pointing fingers. They're exposing corruption. Somebody's got to pay for their pain. But listen, that word is atonement, paying for pain. And Jesus paid the price on the cross for us. His atonement for our sins. Go to him. Don't go to the ones around you. They just stir up all that toxic air. We can't lean on people to hold our life together. Psalm 146, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. 
<laughs> People are going to let you down. We can't put our hope in them. And you'll let yourself down. Let's be honest about it. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Some versions say, don't lean on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Just because you or someone you know is experiencing a season to tear down, like Ecclesiastes says, doesn't mean that you can't trust in God. You're in it. But you don't have to lose it. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't lose it. <laughs> I won't even ask how many of you lost it this week. I think about Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. And Jesus in the Gospel of John is on the move. And showing the signs and the wonders. And he's got his disciples that are with him. And they're on his team. And they're on the winning team. Crowds are showing up. They're trending in the country. I mean, everything is like awesome, right? And right into John chapter 6, right at the height of it, right at the very top of it, Jesus kind of does a left-hand turn. They didn't see it coming. And he starts saying stuff that the crowds don't like. They don't like it. He starts saying things like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't be one of mine. So Jesus kind of allows them to go through a deconstruction moment. Hey, wait a second. This isn't what I thought it was. Wait a minute. What, what's going on here? And did you know that, that God allows those moments to happen in our life? He allows those moments, and sometimes the, the crowd around us begins to walk away and like, I can't handle this. This is too difficult of an experience. I thought everything was going to be great. How many know when you come and follow Jesus, not everything is easy? And now the crowd begins to go away, and in verse 66, you see his disciples. And Jesus, at this point, many of his disciples, it says verse 66, turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? <laughs> and Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. See, what Jesus was saying didn't make sense and people were leaving. They were abandoning ship. Did you know in 2022, that there are some things that are confusing. Everybody loves Jesus as long as we're getting burped and a bottle's in our mouth and we're getting taken care of. But the moment we go through, you gotta work or you gotta do something, you gotta give up your life to follow me. Well, I'm out of here. I thought Jesus was just there for me. Or people that are like, I love Jesus until the pastor preaches from one particular scripture that I don't agree with, I don't like. There are things in the Bible that don't make sense to the world around us. They may not make sense to you. He talks in there about our behavior, how we're to relate to other people, our identity, how we're to see ourselves. And he even talks about our sexuality. Everybody's like, wow, I like all the stuff but that. Well, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to get some moments 
where the crowd is leaving and he's going to look back at you and go, are you going to leave me too? I love Peter's reply. Peter's like, bro. And he didn't say bro. He's like, come on, man. I don't understand this. And this is crazy. But you're the only one that has the words of life. I can be disappointed in this moment, not like what's going on. But my response is not going to be to ditch out. My response is, you're the only option I got. Once I leave you, everything falls apart. I don't understand it all, and you're a little bit crazy to me sometimes, but life with you is better than life without you. Come on, somebody. Mm. I've got to lean into this moment. I've got, to, I've got to believe in you. What if Jesus were asking you this right now? Where else are you going to go? It's Jesus' way or nothing. There at the University of Arizona, there was a biodome built about 30 years ago. It was massively expensive. And it had an enclosed space where they put trees into it. In the first year, the trees grew up, but they fell over. And the biologists couldn't figure out why. They thought it was the soil. But finally, one of the scientists said, there's no wind Apparently, when a tree has no wind, it doesn't grow or falls over because it has no tested roots. And in order for a tree to be healthy, it has to be pushed around by the wind. Testing. Are you hearing me today? This is what Romans speaks about in Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Church, I want to give you four actions to grow while you or a friend face the wind. You might go through it, or you might have somebody near you or a family member going through it. Four actions, simple actions for you to grow while you face the wind. Number one, surrender the what does this mean to God. Surrender the what does this mean to God. You know, so many of us, we want to figure out the why to every little thing. Why is this happening to me? Why did they reject me? Why am I going through this? And we want the answer to that. But the first thing that you got to do is you got to surrender that to God. Okay? You got to be able to turn that over. I want to think of, of, the, of the biblical character Joseph. Joseph's in the book of Genesis. Joseph is born into a really big dysfunctional family. He would make a great Netflix show. <laughs> think about it. He's got multiple brothers. 11 brothers. All of them had different moms. Dad has got a bunch of wives plus concubines. Now, some of you that read that, you're like, huh, what, what's, where's the family values in the Bible? Remember you're in Genesis. 
Because as you move to the right on the timeline, God introduces a better way. He starts with people with where they are, and he grows us into who we can become. So before you get mad at Genesis, and yes, there's murder, and there's rape, and there's all kinds of stuff in it that's horrible, remember that by the time we get to Jesus, there's a whole nother way. The kingdom of God is fully revealed. All right? That was for free, by the way. So Joseph is born into this family, and, and he's not liked by his brothers. He's younger, and God gives him this dream, and this dream shows him like ruling over his brothers, and he's pretty hyped about his supernatural dream, but his brothers weren't so excited about it. On top of that, Joseph's dad gives him a robe of favor that he didn't give to his brothers. All of that mixed together, and now Joseph is the object of scorn by his brothers. They conspire together, and they capture him, throw him into a pit, sell him into slavery. He ends up in another country working as a slave in a household of a different people, and while he's there, he gets accused of something that he didn't do. Which, and then the next thing is he gets sent into prison. He gets into prison, and while he's in prison, he meets people. Now, I want you to notice something about Joseph's life. Joseph spends all of these experiences, and he's getting older. He's probably reframing the story. He's rethinking, maybe my brothers didn't like me at all. Well, no, duh. And he had to deal with the anger in his heart and the rejection and the betrayal in his heart. And by the time he gets to the next station, he's remembering what's happened. And then, oh, oh here it comes again. Another, another person accusing me of something I didn't do. And now he's in prison. And he's probably thinking, God, I don't know if I trust you. Because all this crud I've gone through doesn't make sense. God keeps giving him dreams. He keeps interpreting. He keeps his heart pure somehow. I think because he leaves the question of the why back up to God. And by the time we get to the end of Joseph's story, or actually the high point of his story, he now is brought in to a high place in all of Egypt serving Pharaoh. And his brothers are brought to him in the course of the story. And he could have had them murdered and felt justified in doing it. But because he had taken his heart before God, because he left the question, the bigger questions up to God, now when he looked at his brothers, instead of anger towards them, his eyes were opened. The biggest why was what his brothers meant for evil, God had turned to good. He was able to trust God all the way to the end. Emotions will tell you what you're feeling, but give you terrible advice about what to do with it. Joseph's heart could have become more bitter and he would have missed what God wants to do next.
We also have to resist the urge to tell others what their pain means. You ever had a friend try to say something to you like, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something. You're like, that's the wrong thing to say to me right now. That's not empathy. Empathy means that we take our worries about others to the Lord, not try to lecture others into surrender. Number two, four actions to grow while you are, you are a friend face the, the wind is monitor your heart. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're going through this overwhelming crashing of somebody's let you down, what do you do? Look at your heart. Jeremiah 17 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. In other words, the heart can take you down a weird path. They'll end up hurting you. Our hearts, our emotions, our will will move us in many different directions. But we need to learn to notice when our heart is drifting from the things that are most important to us. Your family, your purity, your care for the world around you. Notice what's going on in your heart while you're looking at the things going on around you. Recently, in the last two years, there's a whole bunch of people that are looking at world events and governmental decisions and what's really going on is the question everybody keeps asking. And if you are looking at those links people are sending you, if you're getting yourself filled with anxiety and you look at your heart and you recognize, I'm not loving my neighbor right now. I'm not caring for the people around me. You notice that your heart is drifting away. Go to the one who knows your heart best, your creator. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If your heart is out of rhythm, go to the doctor, Dr. Jesus. If you find yourself in a place where you're no longer the husband God called you to be. You're no longer loving your children the way you ought to love them. If you find yourself in a place where you're nothing more than a critic of everybody around you, go to Jesus with your heart. Let him take out the defibrillator panels and get you back in sync, baby. It's time for you to bring your heart to the creator. Number three. Don't judge others. Don't judge others. We live in a world where leaders fall regularly and we're vulnerable when we position ourselves as the judge. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter seven. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I've said it all the time, like, don't point the finger because you got three coming back at you. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're in a position where you're judging, then you're determining your own future. You're determining your future by the measure that you use. I've got a measuring cup here. So you're thinking, loser, 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 
and you judge everybody else for how they parent their kids, how that leader makes decisions, and you spend, I don't like that political party, I don't like that political party, I don't like this person, I don't like that person, and you sit there with your judgmentalism. Well, guess what happens? Whatever you just used gets used right on you. And here's the thing. People know that, actually. We actually know that about ourselves because when we hit the darkest moments of our life, we actually sit there in guilt because we've pointed the fingers at everybody else. We know that's all coming back at us. Thank God for Jesus. That while we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, Christ died for us. When we learn to yield our desire to judge, we begin the process of forgiving. And we allow our loved ones in the struggle to go at their own pace. Let me just say this before I give you the last one. When you're walking alongside somebody else that's hurting and distant, and withdrawing from you. Sometimes they say things that are meant to push your buttons. Because they know where your buttons are. The closer to you they, they are. And then they start pushing away from you. Don't like the church. Don't like your family. They come up with stuff. And then you're on the other side. And you're like, wait, 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 wait a second. No, 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 that's not true. And we want to get into do a defensive posture to tell them why they're wrong. When really our real heart is, I want to see them, I want to see them free from sin and darkness. I want them in the light. But once I get pulled into the bait of the back and forth, I can't help that person. So what I can do though, is I can just say, you know what? Accuse me all you want. And like Jesus, turn the other cheek and love my enemies, if you will. And let them know I love you enough to let you be the worst version of you in front of me. And I still won't reject you. You want to see a world that outside right now? Oh, I feel something coming on me now. You want to see a world that outside has been looking at the church? And all they see is a bunch of judgmental people. And they know that the Bible says certain things about sexuality or says certain things about behavior and all those kind of things. And it's all true in there. And we will stand alone before the Lord someday. But when they come at us and they start accusing the church, if the church stopped throwing the same measuring cup back at them, we would stop getting judged that way. Uh -huh. What if instead we just loved, loved, loved while they spit on our face, while they turn their back, if we keep loving the way Jesus loved them, at one point they're going to wake up and recognize, wait a second, that love stuff in the Word is true. I see it in my neighbor. I see it in my sister. I see it in the person that I've been giving the junk to for the last few years. They kept loving me even when I hated them. I want the Jesus they got because I don't see it anywhere else. Ah, come on, somebody. 
I'm about to get the dance on now. Number four, love each other through the season of wind. Let's let each other go through whatever we're going through in the church. First Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. If we listen and we don't judge or get defensive, if we're not uncomfortable with silence and we can handle it, and we don't give into the urge to fix people, then the body of Christ becomes a beautiful collection of imperfect people. Even the ones that bother you the most. I love how the scripture shows the body of Christ coming together. And everybody has a different function, a different body part to use Paul's language. Some of them are presentable and some of them aren't. He's always saying some people are cool and some people are jerks. Some people rub us the wrong way. But we all came in here to church today. All imperfect people. And we can love each other when we collectively look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who first loved us. Nobody could raise their hand and say, you are worthy on your own. But Jesus calls you worthy. We all know that we've got our own mistakes and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He showed us love. And if we can learn to love each other through it for the long term, I'm cool if you go through a difficult season. And even if you pull away from me a little bit, I'm still going to be here when you come back. I'm not going to burn the bridge because of the uncomfortable nature of the season. I want prodigal sons and daughters to come home in church. I want people coming back in the building and feeling the love of God in the lobbies. I want people going, not going, what are you doing here? But going, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're in the house, in the family. Together, we're looking to Jesus to show us, to show us how to walk. I end with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. See, Jesus is the architect for the reconstruction of our hearts. Would you stand with me today, church? We're going to go on to song. We're going to sing. We're going to focus in on Jesus. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, today you can do it. The pastor will come up afterwards and give you an opportunity to pray and connect with Jesus. Or if you need to get back in right relationship with God, I encourage you to do that today. But I know this. I have a heart. You have a heart. I don't want my heart to take me off track. I want my heart in the hands of God. And I look to Jesus who shows me the way. He's not confused in a murky area. It's foggy out there, but Jesus knows the way to walk through difficult times. 
And I'm going to pray that God helps us as individuals, as families, as parents for your kids, that God would do the renovation of the heart now inside of you and your children and your grandchildren will benefit from it. The friends around you, the people that look to you, the people that you mentor, that those people would look to you and they would benefit because your heart is in the hands of God. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that you were encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org to find faith community or additional resources or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We're excited to see what God is going to continue to do. The best is yet to come.